Christmas in July? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's Christmas in April, baby. My favorite time of the year. And with less than 24 hours before we kick off the big day, I present to you my one point only 2021 NFL mock draft. Welcome, guys. Episode one, finally here. Took me long enough. It's been one hell of a journey. A whole lot of studying and researching. And what I've come to realize is this is such a stupid exercise. It really is. Like trying to get inside the minds of these people making these decisions for these teams. Like what? But it's fun. I try to remind myself that it's all for fun. I hope to be right on a lot of the picks, but I know in the back of my head that this thing's gonna go nuts. Between trades, uncertainties, the whole COVID situation, people's different philosophies and views on the scouting process. Do the opt-out prospects bother you? Do you shy away from a prospect because he opted out? Do you investigate it further? Scouts are different. I don't have the info. I'm definitely not an insider. A lot of everything I do is based off of instinct and research, and I meet somewhere in the middle with those two. But we all have a process. I put my process up against anybody's. How I arrived at my conclusions. Apologize about that. I hit the mic. But my process is pretty simple. I should have, the way I'm going to probably do it next year is... I'll just give my opinions, like how I would mock or how I would select if I were each team on the clock, you know, how I would do it, how I would do it each time I'm on the clock 32 times. And because I think that could give, you know, my, my scouting chops a little bit of a profile, so to speak, like I feel that by trying to get into the minds of these teams and what they're thinking you know you may not even find it fun I don't know I I for most of it I wasn't having fun it was torment but you know I I put in the time I almost didn't record uh I know pretty much just a select few family friends will listen to this episode now hopefully after I put out more content Hopefully after I get some of these guys right and I'm accurate on their projections, um, maybe people will come back and do a revisionist history, check me out, see where I'm right wrong. So with that being said, I think um, trying to structure a format for this, you know, I'm new to the podcasting world, so this is this is going to be a challenge for me. Um, still trying to find my voice. So format, I'm not too concerned with. I thought about breaking it into two episodes. That way it was uh, a little bit more easily to, uh, digestible. But, you know, I think we can roll. 32, I'll be quick. And if this runs into an hour episode, so be it. You know, again, this is more documentation. I'm not that concerned with listenership right now. 
Regardless, I'm ready. I hope you guys are ready. I truly poured a lot of time into this. Maybe too much time. Definitely too much time. Um, but this is what I love to do. It makes it easier for me to break down the draft just to get into mock draft mode. And for me, I'm always in a general manager's frame of mind. So that's why I enjoy it. But everybody has their opinions. Hey, bring the hate if you want to bring the hate. I'm all about the love, baby. Try to consider what I'm saying. And whether I'm right or wrong doesn't matter. I realize that in order to get a reputation, a good reputation, especially with how many draft nicks there are out there and how many people really pour themselves into the NFL draft, you know, I certainly don't spend as much time breaking down film or providing exos on a YouTube channel. Like some guys are just great at doing that. But here's a little, you know, kind of like a spoiler for you, I guess. But, you know, one, it's great. If you're not watching film, then you're just a hobbyist, and that's okay. So many people are busy. They have a social life. They have a family. Work long hours at a job, providing for that family. You don't have the time. That's why guys like me are around. You know, I'm just a nerd. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I've made football my entire life. So, but just because I don't do exos and don't provide that kind of content, it really doesn't matter. It's at the end of the day, if you're watching film, you're doing the background and the research, the guys that are going to stand out are the guys that are right. And the guys that are right have an instinct they can differentiate the signal from the noise. And I think that's all that's out there right now is noise because it's a COVID year and it's just different. And so many people have opinions on quarterbacks as is with the emergence of guys like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, obviously Pat Mahomes. You know, we fall in love with the physical tools. And as a fan, I love it. I'm going to love watching Zach Wilson rip these Aaron Rodgers-like throws and as Rodgers leaves the game, he'll be that guy that we know him for, that we know Rodgers for. Mahomes will also be that guy. Like, there can be more than one, but doesn't mean that every quarterback with physical tools is somehow worth trading up for. So I have very strong views, guys. I want you to hang with me, even if you disagree. I'm kind of an old school soul when it comes to football, no matter how much it evolves. Things will always stay the same. If you're a quarterback that's smart and is accurate, you understand what coverage is trying to do to you, and you counteract that, and pressure doesn't bother you, and you have enough arm strength, but you have pinpoint accuracy, like that will always win. And when you pair that up with the right coach and you're on the right team and they know how to build and they have a foundation, it's like let's lay off of some of the hate that we're throwing at these prospects. Without giving too much away, 
I kind of wanted to get that off my chest. So let's get to it. Sorry if you hear my breathing. I'm kind of bad on a cold. So I'm a little, I'm a little uh, struggling for air, it feels like sometimes. So I don't know what's going on, but let's get to it, guys. I'll provide, I'll provide uh, after each pick, I'll provide a, you know, brief little thought or some analysis on the pick, what I think. And, uh, and we'll just go from there. We'll roll, try to make it quick. All right, we got the Jags at one. No surprise, everybody knew. We knew when uh, the draft order got settled, but Trevor Lawrence. Now, I wanted to not like Trevor Lawrence, like every ounce of me. I'm like the opposite of Trevor Lawrence, the kind of prospect I go for at quarterback. Um, I'm the no fun guy. I like, I'm, I'm, let's just put this out there. I'm a Mac Jones guy, okay? So where's all my Mac fans at? Raise your hands. Okay, nobody. Oh boy. That's okay. I'll be alone by myself on this as usual. But look, guys, um Trevor Lawrence, he can't do it alone. And that, you know, what Andrew Luck ran into, and the reason I bring him up is, you know, he was the last quarterback dubbed a generational talent. And the story didn't end that well for him. It didn't. You know, he fell short of expectations. Individually, you know, everybody, it was so clear if you had two good eyes, you could see the impact he made in each game. But he couldn't overcome a lack of talent around him. He couldn't make the organization better from the top down. He can only control what he can control, and most of that is on the field and in the locker room, and that only goes so far. And that kind of quirky, all shucks type of vibe he had to him, it's different with Trevor. He's very laid-back California cool, even though he's a Southern boy. I think he's much better as a person than he is a quarterback, and he's phenomenal at both. Honestly, I wanted to not like him so bad because he hit the genetic lottery. Like his DNA is perfect. And, you know, I think where he could run into struggles is he hasn't faced any adversity in his football life. Like he's been the guy. He's been the guy since day one. And the Sports Illustrated article you know, and I'm like parsing words kind of, but um, basically, de depending on how you interpreted what, you know, was said is pretty damning to me. Like his dad says that Super Bowls never have been his motivation. And then Trevor clarified it by basically saying that he's a self-starter. He knows who he is. He's competitive. Like they're just words to me. But honestly, I don't feel like when he loses a big game, it hits him the way it hits a Tom Brady. And ultimately, that's how I judge you as a quarterback. Like, are you trying to improve your personal brand? Are you cool with just coming into the league, making a shitload of money, becoming a public figure, taking all the fame and fortune that comes with, and just coasting? As long as your stats are good. 
Like, and you're cool with your teammates, but like, is winning important to you? I don't know if it is for Trevor. I honestly, I'm not trying to be hard on him. I get it. All the physical tools. Yeah. Well, guess what? They only take you so far. And if you're young and you're listening to this, this will be a great starting point for you to learn a lesson. Not to be condescending, but it took, I ran into those things early in my kind of scouting thing where I took football a little bit more seriously than the average fan and I started to get really into the film. You're going to miss on things and you're not going to. So for me, I guess what I'm getting at is good for the Jags, great for business, Shad Khan. Um, he doesn't need to become more wealthy. I think he's seventh wealthiest business owner or uh, franchise owner in the NFL. But he needs to get some excitement built around this team. Trevor's going to bring that. Splash in a pan style, I could see them having early success long term. Oh boy, don't even get me started. This is why I kind of just don't like the pick. I'm not an Urban Meyer fan. I think his hiring of the strength and conditioning coach and then the subsequent resigning from that coach, turning in his own resignation because of public backlash, says it all. To me, he's, he's just tone deaf, man. I mean, you hired an accused racist to head the strength and conditioning program for you with a locker room filled with black men. What? And then Urban said, we vetted him. He's been a friend of 20 years. And not to mention Urban's got this kind of like military background. I saw something about him and look, I salute the troops. My brother, Navy submarine program. He's a veteran. It's not about that. It's just, I think his messaging to his players needs to be carefully crafted from here out, building the trust, getting the foundation set, building the culture, I think is going to be incrementally hard now. And knowing his health history, uh, I'm having a heart attack. Oh, wait, no. That was just heartburn. Like, if you don't even know what heartburn is, like, are you really that smart of a coach? I don't know. I have my trepidations. And don't get me started on Trent Baalke. That dude's a complete shithead. So Urban stressed the importance of this draft. They have like, I think, seven, five or seven picks in the top 45. Good luck, Trent Baalke and crew. And good luck building culture there. Trevor will help. But for a guy who doesn't seem all that concerned with legacy, mm, I see a lot of eight and eight in your future. Talk to me in five years. We'll revisit this, but um, not not big on the Trevor Lawrence uh, to Jacksonville selection. I wish there, there was some debate and there was another quarterback that can challenge him publicly to where he could have landed somewhere else because I think Jacksonville basically is a graveyard for anybody. So sorry, Duval. Don't care either. Um, got the Jets at two. Zach Wilson. He was a fast riser. His pro day pretty much cemented him to the Jets. All the connections are there. I see Joe Douglas smirk when he gets asked questions and, you know, NFL's trying to conceal who you're picking so there could be a buildup and all the media ratings and all that shit. So I get it, but Zach Wilson's the pick. Love the pick. Love the kid. Man, you want to talk about somebody that's direct opposite. Legacy means everything to this kid. 
And I think he's got all the right stuff. I question his durability. It's probably the only thing I question on him. I've been back and forth on his profile and, and I've arrived at superstar and then waiting. Um, he'll, he'll join the upper echelon, uh, quarterback class pretty quick. People won't be debating him. Um, they'll just recognize his greatness and, um, good for the Jets, man. I'm, I'm happy of all teams that deserve a, a rebuild with a star QB. The Jets are certainly worthy. Um, they've been dog shit for quite a while, and they haven't had a prospect like this, a quarterback, even longer. So I'm happy for them. Number three. Now, this is, <laughs> I've turned into a Niners fan. So um, while all the Niners fans are jumping off the ship, you're making room for guys like me to jump on. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to have to pay a premium to get back on the ship. I'll hold out my hand. I'll extend the olive branch to you. But now I'm a Niners fan. You're not. But this is beautiful, man. I love guys who have the cojones, like Kyle Shanahan, to say the hell with everybody's opinions. I don't want to hear groupthink. I know what I need. This guy has it. You don't see it. And you can point to all the things and say, this is why Mac Jones succeeded. The offensive line, the defense, the receivers. Obviously, the receivers. I don't remember all that shit when we were here in Tank for Tua. So if you're going to throw the hate, throw it evenly. I think Mac gets the hate because of personality traits. I think he's quirky and nerdy. His middle name is McCorkle. His first name is Michael, yet we call him Mac. I think there's a, you know, he's got the dad bod. There's a lot of reasons to make him the punchline and the butt of your joke. I get it. But, oh, let me tell you, and listen to me closely. We will revisit this conversation in two years, probably less than, being that the Niners are built to win now, and I will have the last laugh, as will Kyle. And all you fake-ass Niners fans, like, chill the fuck out. Like, none of you are watching tape. Maybe some of you are. And if you are and you still disagree, that's fine. But if you're a purist and you're a real fan, you'll come back and you'll just say, I was wrong. But Mac is a perfect fit for the Niners. <laughs> like, he's such an upgrade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't give a shit. Jimmy's a good quarterback. But guys, you're sleeping on Mac, and I wish I could do a whole draft profile on him and why I think he's going to be great. He's my number one ranked quarterback. People want to call him a game manager, and I get it. And they constantly want to throw in your face and remind you of the talent he was surrounded by and the coaching staff. But guys, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there, and it's there in abundance. His one special thing is his brain, and he's figured out how to throw darts accurately. He's figured out how to lead men. He's figured out perfect footwork, arm angles, just enough pocket wiggle to find lanes to throw through and shred your defense and check your shit defense 
because he knows what coverage you're in and expose it. That's Mac Jones. And I'll repeat because it's worth repeating. Pocket quarterbacks are never going to not be successful in the league when you have those traits that I just named. And you guys will recognize it at some point. You'll probably argue it to the death, even though you know in your heart you're wrong. But Mac Jones is the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan, and I freaking commend him for doing it, for showing the conviction to stay with what you believe in. Thank you, Kyle Shanahan. Four, we got the Falcons. This is the perfect time for a succession plan. Kyle Pitts is there. It doesn't make sense to me. As unique and special and the talents that Kyle Pitts possesses, he's not moving the needle in the wins-loss column, and he's a building block, but other tight ends will be around. You'll never be this high if you got a motivated Matt Ryan and an offensive coach and you're changing the culture there. You're going to be drafting 8-12. Next year's QB class supposedly stinks. Does, it's not set in stone. But what you know now is Trey Lance just needs seasoning. He's a high-end prospect. Some say he has the highest ceiling. I don't agree with it, and that's fine. But I like him. I think he's solid. I think with the right coach, he can really develop. And the right situation, it, it makes it even more enticing to take him. Because some guys just aren't ready. And it worked for Aaron Rodgers, like sitting and learning in a great organization where there was culture and talent. He got to see how the greats prepared. Like, this is going to be so beneficial for Trey Lance. And I think new GM, Falcons GM, Terry Fontenot, has developed a chemistry with him. I think they have a similar background. I think they have a similar mindset. I think this is just the perfect fit. And, you know, I feel bad for Matt Ryan. He's one of my guys, but I root for him. I always argue people that want to trash him. And I'm not a, a Falcons fan at all. I just respect his play. It's so underrated. But everybody, every quarterback, the time is always ticking, man. And he knows what's up. The clock is going to run out on him. Trey Lance will be a successor. Mark my words, Falcons are not taking Kyle Pitts. You know, let me take that back. They could get blown away with an offer. Somebody could jump up to four. I see that's the only way they don't take Lance. If they stay at four, they're taking Lance. We have the Bengals at five. Kind of some debate around this. It's just not as national. But I think in Cincinnati, the debate is Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase. I say it's Jamar Chase. I feel pretty good about that. I've watched Penny Sewell's tape. He is a work in progress. He is not better than Jonah Williams, even with the injuries. Like, I trust Jonah Williams so much more on an island than I do Penny Sewell year one, which means you have to kick him inside the guard. You're not taking a guard who's a moldable piece of clay at five. Jamar Chase. You know, it didn't hit me at first, but after some deep diving on his film, I finally got it. It just hits you at some point when you see him kind of toasting the Alabama corners and going to town on some other prominent defenses. He's just built differently. He's 
compact. He's muscular. He's everything you want in a receiver. He's got that dog in him. Underrated explosion and long speed when he gets into an open field. There's no weaknesses in his game. And he knows the quarterback. I think that goes a long way. I know Zach Taylor likes to run three receiver sets. This is perfect. Like, what a combination. Him, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Go Bengals. I'm a big Joe Burrow guy as well, so that's a good pick for me. Um, Six. Dolphins moved around, got back up to six. I think they did it for a reason. They would have been happy with Jabar Chase or Kyle Pitts. I think the third guy on that list would have been... um, Jesus, I'm drawing a blank here. It's been a long weekend. Devontae Smith, excuse me, um, Alabama receiver, who's my favorite receiver. Jamar Chase is special. Um, my personal favorite is Devontae Smith. I have them one and one, one A, one B type of thing with Smith being one A, Chase being one B. That's my personal preference. But um, I think the Dolphins would have been happy with any one of those three. I think Pitts kind of is the obvious play here. So they take Kyle Pitts, and yeah, he's a freak. Um, Dolphins need him. Two has got to develop in year two big time because for him to be involved in as many trade rumors as he has before logging in a full season just goes to show you that Miami might be having buyer's remorse and getting a guy like him helps him or whoever the next quarterback might be in Miami. Now here's where the intrigue starts for me. My first trade comes at seven. Detroit's been sending the feelers out there. Come up and get it. Come up and get it. I think the Patriots have it. I think the Lions would be happy to move back to 15. I don't think they're happy with their options at seven. And with Justin Fields falling, I kind of didn't know who would come up and get Justin Fields. The Broncos making their deal today for Teddy Bridgewater. Kind of solidified things for me. Whoever wants Fields got to get ahead of the Panthers at eight. Because even with Sam Darnold there, their recent announcement that they won't offer him his fifth-year option on his rookie contract until after the draft tells me that they really don't know if it's going to work. And they're... Look, they're just building it right now in Carolina. And Justin Fields just may be ranked too highly on their board. So you have to get ahead of 8-9. and nine. I think the Patriots can do it. I don't know if this would be the total package, but I have the Patriots sending the 15th and the 46th pick. I have the trade value chart. Um, let me go to it, actually. I forgot the fucker's name. Um... Was it something Hill? Something Hill. Rich Hill on drafttech.com. The Rich Hill draft or draft trade model. Um, it's a modern valuation model. I don't think NFL teams use it, but it's probably close enough. So maybe the Patriots have to give up just a little bit more, but I don't think they're going to give a future one. And I don't think they have to worry about the football team or the Bears at 20, the football team at 19, like offering the world for Justin Fields and moving up to seven. And maybe I'm wrong. 
but I think the Patriots just, there's been enough reporting out there to where I trust it. I think the reporters have been spot on thus far. Things leak for a reason. I think the Patriots actually are the team, you know, and I'm a big Tom Brady guy and Patriots are kind of always been like my closet team. So hate me for that too. But, and all my friends and family know that about me, but I believe that Bill Belichick and that organization leaked the Justin Fields epilepsy medical condition (laughs) because it's such a Belichick fucking thing to do. Um, I think they leaked it to lower his value so they didn't have to give up too much. But they say the, the, the closer you wait till draft day and even during the draft by the picks are being made, the easier it is to move up, the lesser the value becomes or is demanded from the team inquiring to move up. So I think the Patriots can get away with just giving up their second rounder and maybe they throw in a sweetener. I don't know. Um, I know Stefan Gilmore has been involved in trade uh, talks. So who knows? Maybe they make it spicy and they entertain us, but that's what I have for seven. Patriots move up, draft Justin Fields. Um, There's a connection with Cam Newton, something with his QB camp. They developed a rapport. They keep in touch. I think Cam found his, his retirement place, guys. I think he can show out for one more year, let Justin learn. If it don't work out, Justin's got to be ready. I think Cam will be the ultimate Boy Scout as the second team quarterback, ready to sit on the on the sideline with his helmet in hands, ready to play if needed. But this seems like the perfect pairing. And what an interesting way to transition from the Tom Brady era. Like maybe they do trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. But if it's Justin Fields, like I think that'll be kind of easy for him, being that he's kind of the opposite in every way of Tom Brady. So he can cement his own legacy without the pressure of being a pocket quarterback who's only a pocket quarterback and isn't white and has to fill those shoes. I think Justin can bring his own stamp to the Patriots organization and cement his own legacy. So we got the Panthers at eight. It kind of just worked out this way, and I'm not sure they're too excited about it. But I know Matt Rule appreciates big, strong men, and they need a left tackle. Let me go to, uh, let me pull them up real quick. Let me see something. Always forget the old Miss tackle from a few years ago they drafted. Um, hang on with me. Greg Little. He's so bad I couldn't remember his name. Um, I've seen film of him. I've seen some breakdowns, recent breakdowns. He's a mess. And maybe they feel confident that he's shown enough growth at the end of the year to where they don't need to reach for a tackle because it's a need at eight. But you could argue that Sewell is the best player on the board at this point. I mean, he wouldn't be for me. But if you're, you know, if I'm the running the Panthers and I'm looking at that left tackle spot, I may readjust my rankings and say, you know what? Yeah, let's pull the trigger. So I, I got the Panthers. I just couldn't find a better home. We'll take Penny Sewell. We'll feel good about that. We have the Broncos at nine. There's been some rumors involving their movement, either up or down. I think they stay. 
I think they want to move down though, because again, this is a fit and need pick for me here, but I couldn't get away from it because they signed Ronald Darby to a three-year deal. Um, they can't get out of it. Dead money doesn't come off for two years. And of course they signed Kyle Fuller as soon as became available. It's a one-year deal, but I see those two guys locked up on the outside as much as I would love to see them take Sertan or even for that matter, JC Horn, although that might be a little early. Um, I couldn't get away from Micah Parsons with them just because of the history with Vic Pangio. And I really feel like the Broncos' new general manager, George Payton, I, I really feel like he believes in Vic Fangio and wants to give him a fair shake. And that's why they brought in Teddy, because they're not confident with Drew. And it's not hard to figure that out. Like, you just watch film, and Drew's playing like a young quarterback. And honestly, <laughs> excuse me, honestly, even if he wasn't young, he just makes bad decisions. And Teddy's the opposite of that. So, I, you know, it's not that they're trying to win a Super Bowl, but Micah Parsons fills a need. And, you know, you got to take the character concerns with him, the immaturity concerns with him. Um, he has a daughter now, and hopefully he just grows into uh, being a man and being mature and adjusting to a new lifestyle with a lot of money in his pocket. I just got the feeling, you know, this is off the cuff. I've done enough research on him. I think there's something off with him. But it could be in a good way. As long as he doesn't go out into the public and hurt anybody physically. He doesn't, do, you know, break the law, I think. And, you know, there's been no, you know, just to put this out there, there's been nothing that suggests he he broke any laws like he's a bad guy. But the hazing incident, if you read the details on that, they're pretty damning if they're true. Yeah, I can as a as a as a man. I'm near my 40s. I can chalk that up as just maybe, you know, not a good kid, but a kid who made a big mistake and hopefully learned a lot from it, but I think it's the perfect fit. Honestly, his sideline to sideline speed and his versatility fits what Fangio looks for. He can drop, he can cover. Obviously, the physical intangibles or the physical tangibles are all there, the measurements, everything. So checks a lot of boxes. Some of the few that he doesn't check, I think the Broncos can work around and take a chance. He's too good to pass on at nine, especially when you have the need. Cowboys at 10. This has pretty much been like a steady common link with them. I think they reunite the Bama boys. Patrick Sertan the second. It's a fit. Maybe they move up. Maybe they get fancy. They try to pry Kyle Pitts away from the Dolphins. I doubt it. He's not going to fall to them. And anybody else there, I mean, you can make an argument, excuse me, you can make an argument for certain guys like Rashawn Slater. Um, but really, you're pushing out starters that are already there on the offensive line, whether you think they're good or not. Um, and it's tough to do, especially when you invested early. Connor Williams on the last year of his rookie contract. Who knows? Maybe they have faith in him. And he can work out. He can have a breakout year. Who knows? But I still think that the pick is perfect for them, for their system. You got um, 
Dan Quinn in there now as the DC. Sertan plays a great mix of man and zone. He's smart. He's kind of like the perfect quarter, cornerback prospect, if you ask me. So they're lucky to get him at 10. A guy like him usually goes inside the top 10. So I think he kind of, this was like a major slide for them. So um, we go to 11. This is all NFC East here, three picks in a row. So 11, New York Giants. If I know Dave Gettleman, and he's been putting out those feelers that they're trying to improve their pass rush, so people are trying to link them to an edge rusher that makes sense. I tried, and I tried, and I tried. But I'll be damned if I could find a fit. I think if you take any of the pass rushers, whoever your preference is, at 11, it's way too early. I think they're hoping Micah Parsons falls to them, but in my scenario, he doesn't. And David Gettleman may trade out. Maybe the Vikings come calling. They need a left tackle. Rashawn Slater's on the board. Maybe they can work out a deal that's more palatable for the fan base by overreaching for an edge rusher because of need. But David Gettleman consistently, when in position, it doesn't mean every draft he's ever had or every first-round pick he's ever had. Sometimes with Carolina, he was at the bottom of the first round. But when he's in these positions where there's a consensus good player available and best player available on most people's boards, he doesn't shy away from it. I still feel like the receiver room needs to be improved. You can't count on Sterling Shepard at all. And I think after this year, dead money comes off. So Devontae Smith, the perfect pairing with Kenny Galladay. If you really want to help Daniel Jones, you don't pass on Devontae Smith who, in my opinion, deserves to be up there with Jamar Chase as the best receiver in this class. There just aren't any flaws in his game. And if you just want to focus on what the scowl says, that's great. But if you watch film, you don't see him struggle against press. You don't see him struggling when trying to run block. There's a tenacity to this guy. There's a strength to this guy in the same way, kind of like Kevin Durant has where he gets to the hole. He's not falling to the ground because he bounced off a center. Like he, he can absorb contact. He can dish some physicality when needed. I clearly, clear as day, see that with Devontae Smith in the SEC. I don't think he'll have a problem in the NFL. Sure, will, will we struggle? Guys that can jam. Like if Jalen Ramsey gets on him, is he going to jam him? Absolutely. When you measure out his career, Devontae Smith is going to be fine. The things he has are special, and he's a special person. He's a culture setter. Excuse me. He's a culture setter in the way that Larry Fitzgerald is. Like, that's that's what I'm connecting here. Like, he's just a total package, and you want him representing your franchise. For me, he's the perfect package because I don't think there's any diva in him. I don't think you have to worry about him coming back to the huddle complaining he's not getting the ball. Even if you're losing, he just seems like a guy who goes about his business, puts his head down, a la Julio Jones, a la Larry Fitz. Those kind of guys are rare at the receiver position, if you ask me. So great pick by Gettleman. I'm sure he'll get ridiculed by the fan base, but I don't think he gives a shit either. So um, great pick. 12, Eagles. 
always suspenseful in how we land. And as a resident Philadelphian, Eagles grew up on them. They're my hometown team. Uh, can't say I'm a diehard. Sorry, guys. Everybody that knows me know that's true, but I do. They're the team I root for on Sundays. I don't let them ruin my day, so I don't get too involved, but I want to see them succeed. Um, I do trust in Howie Roseman, which is uh, also not very common these days, um, which is okay. But I have enough skepticism to where I think they could fuck this up. But I know their obsession with the Kansas City offense and acquiring speed. And I don't think it stopped last year with Jalen Rager. They have a lot of holes. J.C. Horn's on the board. It's debatable. Um, but with Jalen Waddle here, it's going to be three Bamas in a row. For me, it's an easy decision. Um, for others, they struggle with it. I get it. But you can always get a corner. You're not guaranteed to ever find a guy with Waddle's abilities. His speed, his explosion, his acceleration, his movement skills, they're just special. I see dog in him. Don't know if we'll ever be a refined route runner. Don't know if it matters. Don't know if we'll ever have the best hands. Don't know if it matters. Guys like him change how you defend the entire offense. That alone is worth its weight in gold. At 12, you take that all day. You announce that name, you don't even take the 10 minutes. For me, that's an easy decision. So I couldn't pass on it. Supposedly, there's some kind of connections, or at least there's rumors out there that the Eagles covet Waddle. I don't see them moving. I think they're happy to be right in this spot, ahead of the Chargers, ahead of the Cardinals, and other teams that may have an interest in Waddle. So good pick, Eagles. Howie, restore your reputation, please. Don't let these guys get you down. Restore it. Bring in Waddle, baby. Let's make this offense explosive. 13, Chargers. You got J.C. Horn. I think this was the obvious pick. You bring in Brandon Staley. Um, he's all about coverage. I think J.C. Horn hasn't even come close to scratching his ceiling. So he's just on the surface, but... Just from a physical profile, he, he, he's impressive. Like, <laughs> this guy's stacked muscle on muscle. And, you know, it's hard not to get impressed by that. But when you match it up with the tape, when you, when you see him locking horns with Kyle Pitts, and Kyle Pitts gave, you know, got the better of him because he's just on another level with the physical profile. But to see... What I care more about is how a corner responds after getting dogged. And honestly, really, what I saw was Pitts winning with just size. Like, I didn't see him just, you know, ah, broke his ankles with the route. Like, it was a tougher matchup than you think if you watch the film. And that, that impressed me because that was one of my first film sessions was South Carolina versus Florida. And that's a, good, uh, that's a good quarterback there in Florida, in Kyle Trask. Extremely accurate. So for J.C. Horn to be one-on-one, -on -one, no help, and for the coaches to trust him, that impressed me. 
I think the Chargers are the perfect landing spot for him, for Brandon Staley and what he's trying to do there. And with what they already have built on defense, and I know they need a left tackle and all this stuff, this is a deep tackle class. Depending on who you ask, people are kind of more excited about the guys that'll be there in the second round at tackle. So tough to pass on Rashawn Slater, yes, but easy decision in my opinion. So we'll announce that name, J.C. Horn Chargers. Vikings at 14, they may move up. I think I preluded that earlier, but I think they get lucky and they stay, they tough it out, they sweat it out, and Rashawn Slater is just sitting here and he's a tackle. He's a left tackle all day. In my opinion, it's not even it's not even close just off evaluation who the better prospect is, Rashawn Slater or Penny Sewell. And I don't you could shove all that PFF data up your ass. The Pac-12 don't rush the quarterback. They they have no pro, pro prospects rushing quarterbacks. And if they do, they're mid-round guys. I watched them I watched Sewell kind of get into tussles with Bradley and I of Dallas now, who was on Utah, and he gave him everything he could handle. Sewell is a ways to go from a technical basis. He's a hugger in pass pro too often, not all the time. Sometimes he gets a clean lock inside the pads, but... I see technical issues. I see refinement. But the ceiling, it's obvious. Penny Sewell's ceiling is through the roof. But Rashawn Slater reminds me of Zach Martin if Zach Martin had the length to play tackle and was a little bit more athletic. Zach Martin's a little more stout. Rashawn Slater is a little bit more athletic, but they're technicians. You can even say Jonah Williams for Rashawn Slater. However you want to chop it up on the comp end of it. I think... With the Vikings outside zone scheme, really Slater would be a fit anywhere, but he'll, he'll stay outside and solidify that offensive line for them. And they have many needs, but he's too good to pass on. Um, they missed out on the Orlando Brown sweepstakes, so this is a nice consolation prize in my opinion. 15, this is where the Lions landed, formerly occupied by the Patriots. We have, you know... Much got made of of uh, Dan Campbell's press conference, his introductory press conference um, a couple months back. And it was funny. It's great fodder. But um, I kind of liked it. It was interesting. And even though it sounded pretty silly, um, I do think there's an element to that to where you, you're... He's, they, as a team and as, as an organization, are identifying certain players... I think Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa fits the mold of those kind of players. You know, biting kneecaps off all that shit, asking for more. Can I eat your elbow too? Can I eat your ass? Like, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa will leave no meat on the bone. He's going to eat it all. So, they have a need at linebacker. I don't know exactly what you want to call Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa. He's kind of like being labeled a big nickel. That's fine. You know, I think he's, you know, he's kind of as big as Darius Leonard, and it doesn't seem to matter with him. You know, Leonard's a lot longer. But Owosu-Koromoa's skill set 
how he plays in coverage, his instincts, his leadership, his intelligence, his instincts, they're almost Jamal Adams-ish, but he's going to make an immediate impact in the ground game. And I think equally he'll impact the pass game just by being an athlete who's instinctive and knows how to cover. So call on whatever position you want. Those coaches over there will figure out how to use them. So I think the Lions are happy to take the capital and land the pretty, I guess you could call him a culture guy for their defense because they're lacking and they're young, but this guy will bring culture or will change the culture there. I have a tough time saying culture. I don't know why. I think my tongue's too big for my mouth. So if you notice that and you're laughing, screw off. All right. I'm working through it. But yeah, um, we're on to 16, right? Yeah. So we got the Cardinals at 16. Um, Tony Pauline of the Pro Football Network, long time, I guess you can call him a journalist, but he's kind of like a scout. And he does phenomenal work over there. If you guys want to check him out, profootballnetwork.com, Tony Pauline. Tons of scouting reports. I use it as a frame of reference. Um, I think he has a keen eye. And I think he's connected. And maybe this is a leak for another reason, but he's linked Zaven Collins to the Cardinals. And I try to find a bunch of different players here because the Cardinals have a need at cornerback. Um, they have other needs. I feel, I look at that offensive line, I feel like they need offensive linemen. So I would have been happy with Elijah Vera Tucker here. But I have a feeling that Cliff Kingsbury is kind of particular and maybe doesn't covet interior linemen um, the way probably most people should. And I think he trusts in Kyler's athletic ability to get them out of jams. Zaven Collins is such a unique athlete, maybe the most unique athlete on the defensive side in this draft. Like this guy's 6'5", 270. Plays between 260, 270, they say. I think he's 270, and I think he struggles to stay there. The only time I remember a big linebacker from the weight side of it, who's a true linebacker, is, and I'm dating myself, going way back. LaVon Kirkland, Pittsburgh Steelers. And this guy looked like a nose tackle. But when you watched him move, you just, it clicked. You were like, wow, yeah, he's a linebacker. And I see everything you want to see in a linebacker in terms of the mental recognition and the mental side of it. Um, and the leadership side, I see him calling out um, switches and audibles and, and just communicating with his teammates to make sure everybody's lined up. The background... And the research um, pretty much dittos that. So um, I think the Cardinals, they play unique defense. They like and appreciate unique talents. I think when you have him, Isaiah Simmons, and Chandler Jones on third down on the field together, that's a scary thought. So they can find a corner later. Zayvon Collins, too good to pass on that skill set here with a coach who knows how to use them. You can blitz them. You can drop them. He can, he can play run. He can play pass. And he's going to be a leader. Great pick. 17, the Raiders. This, this kind of was obvious to me. Like, they don't have to go far. You know, uh, 
Elijah Barrett Tucker right on the West Coast. They're changing around the offensive line, and I think Mike Mayock put some window dressing on a statement to the local press in Vegas earlier this week saying how excited he was about these changes on the offensive line. And I'm not going to call out malarkey, but, you know, really, Mike? Really? Let me bring them up. I got my laptop here. Let's bring up that roster. They're so bad I can't remember their name. Really? So we're excited about Denzel Good. We're excited about Jared Jones-Smith and John Simpson and Andre James and Brandon Parker, who's been there since 2018, and Kamal Seymour. Like, give me a break. Like, come on. I don't know why all these teams... Like, I get it at the top why you're trying to be secretive. But, like, be secretive without selling bullshit. You're, you're not excited about your offensive line. Richie, Richie Incognito, not only just age-wise, he's just a bad day away from being in the clink-clink. Like, all joking aside, like, you know where that guy can go mentally. So really, all you're staring at is Colton Miller, who John Gruden famously said he didn't want because he wanted Derwin James when he arrived as the coach there. So, you know, I know they just gave Colton a contract extension, but I think you have to make up this offensive line when a prospect who's good as Elijah Vera Tucker and this guy, you know, there are people who are hammering the table for him to stay at left tackle because they believe no matter how short his arms are, he can hang there. The film says he can. The college film says he can. I say no way. It's a mandatory slide inside. And with Colton, you don't, have to, you don't even have to guess or, or, or second guess yourself. You know, you do need a right tackle, but you need a guard equally. So I think Elijah Vera Tucker's versatility and his willingness to play anywhere to help the team He'll make your team better, and you can look good running the ball since you invested a first-round pick in a running back. Like I think that's probably more important than anything, is this is the identity you wanted on offense, and you can't go into the season gambling with fringe players and rotational guys in the interior of your line. So that just, it makes too much sense to me, Elijah Vera Tucker Raiders. Um, Dolphins, their second pick at 18. You know, they're really in a luxury position because they don't have too many needs. They're well-balanced with a lot of youth and talent everywhere, in my opinion. But this may be the perfect spot for Chris Greer and Crude who invest in maybe what you would call a need. Um, they lost Shaq Lawson, who was their 4-3 base end. And they run multiple fronts, so, I mean, that's just the way of the NFL defense nowadays. So, they don't exactly need four down linemen, one, four, three end. But you're here, and there's a guy, Quiddy Pay, on the board. And many evaluators' estimation is the best edge rusher in the draft. Um, I see all the raw physical ability, but what's more impressive about him is his background and his story, how he got here. He's an immigrant. Um, I think him and his mother fled from a war-torn Liberia where they were burning villages down 
these violent extremists that occupy territories over there and just murder and commit genocide. And I believe his mother's father, his own grandfather, uh, unfortunately didn't make it. So he he's had a crazy journey over here to America and he's made the best of his life. His mother has done a phenomenal job raising her kids. He's a well put together man. Um, he's just somebody you can see a maturity level and a different appreciation for things, probably from that immigrant background, being an American, appreciating a lot of things here. And he's, um, he's impressive in every way a person can be impressive. And he's an, an impressive physical specimen. So there's a lot to like on film. He has a lot to work on. I think Brian Flores and crew will get that out of him. No questions asked. I don't think there's any real bust factor here. kind of think he compares the Bud Dupree in a lot of ways. Maybe not as long. But you see the power, the speed, the power, and the athleticism, the bend. He's multiple. I think they can even use him when they go base 34 as an end, as an outside rusher um, in the linebacker, stand-up linebacker role. So I think Brian Flores would be thrilled with this pick and probably didn't expect him to be here at 18, but in this mock, he's here, and now he's gone. So at 19, the football team needs, well, they need some things more than others, but not one larger glaring hole on their roster than at left tackle. And they were kind of doing that Raiders thing, trying to sell you on Jerron Christian and whoever that LSU kid is they drafted last year. Little on the shorter side with long arms. Uh, let's see what his name is. Sadiq Charles, who I like. And he does have long arms, and maybe he can work out at left tackle, but you just won the division, and you got this beast defense. Like, are you really going to try to chance that? Like, I know it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you need a quarterback and all that long term, but this division is wide open. Your defense is a problem. You need protection. And I don't really feel too strong like most scouts. I don't feel too strong about Christian Darsall, But there aren't many weaknesses in his game either. Like, I don't want to hammer the guy because his strengths aren't, like, eye-popping and wow. Like, he's just solid. So, oh, who, who, who was it that I had? The, like, like, Russell Okun. Like, it's just solid. And you hope he could make a long career. But for now, it works because you don't have a lot of options. The left tackle group is shrinking by the minute. Maybe they address it in the second round with one of these project guys or I don't know. But I think at 19, good players are still on the board for sure. But nobody that really says like, oh, you're going to pass on this guy for Christian Darsall. So... I don't know how you say it, Darisol or Darisol. I've heard it pronounced both. I'm saying Darisol because of the double R. It just, it's how my mind's registering it. But Christian Darisol, left tackle, Virginia Tech. I think they upgrade the offensive line. They added Curtis Samuel in free agency, Adam Humphrey. Maybe he still has some juice left. But um, they retain Brandon Sheriff on the franchise. They have some interesting stuff. Logan Thomas kind of like came into his own and developed as the year went on. So they're built to win now with that defense. They signed William Jackson the third, shored up their secondary. 
I think they still have work to do back there, but you can address that later. Also, you definitely want to take a look at linebacker. Now that I'm looking at it, middle linebacker probably would be, would have been an ideal scenario and maybe maybe Zaven Collins and who else? Uh, Jeremiah Usukoromoa. Maybe those two don't go as early as I have projected and they make it to Washington and then they have a tough decision. Then they got to look at their board and trust the prospects that they have rated in the second round or third round. But in this scenario, we're going Christian Darsal. 20, the Bears. Oh my God. I, I want to feel bad for Ryan Pace, but hey man, you dug yourself this hole. And I think ownership is giving you all the rope to pull yourself out of it, but you're going to strike out. I mean, maybe they let you offer the world to move up to seven and give a better package than the Patriots can offer. Or maybe the Patriots just really aren't interested and Fields falls past seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe he makes it to 11 and David Gettleman does the unthinkable and they make a trade. It's the NFL. Crazy shit's going to happen. Trust me, this year of all years, the NFL draft, yeah. So I can see something like that to where the Bears are able to get Justin Fields because honestly, I think he's the only player that's going to save Ryan Pace's job and Matt Nagy's job. I don't, I feel about the same as Matt Nagy as I do about Urban Meyer in terms of like how I see their potential and how things are going to play out for them. This is probably their last year. I think they know it. But his job is still to put together a good football team. And the Bears aren't bad. Andy Dalton, you know, he's a punchline. He's at the end of his career. But he could still play, and he's smart. And, you know, they're not going to win the division. But they're going to be a tough football team. Khalil Mack is still damn good. But they he needs a partner. He needs a partner. Um, they, they swung and missed with Robert Quinn last year. That acquisition didn't work out. And I know that they've been trying to find somebody outside of Khalil Mack to be a presence, to be a threat. And I think with Aziz Ojolari here, it's the perfect landing spot. This guy's long forever. He's almost as long as Kyle Pitts, as crazy as that is. Aziz Ojolari, a little over 6'2". 35-inch arms, roughly. Swing span was 82 and some change. It's crazy. And the tape is just, it's fun. He has a lot to work with. So, honestly, I think he's a steal here at 20. Um, he bends the edge probably better than anybody in this draft. And he can turn speed to power. And he's just a tough dude. He's tough. So, I think that just makes sense. They have other needs. They could go another direction on defense, but I think Aziz Ojolari will be the name. Colts 21. And boy, is Chris Ballard in a tough spot. Um, Anthony Costanzo retired on them. Their left tackle, who Chris Ballard thinks was a top five tackle in football, and he could be right. And if he is right, he's in trouble. Because there's not a left tackle prospect here at 21. Anybody he takes to play left tackle would be a reach. And he knows it. He's a smart, prudent man. 
Um, he's very pragmatic in the way he approaches the draft. He takes big swings sometimes and misses. Um, they have a lot of needs, though. And Carson Wentz, Mr. Hold on to the ball for five seconds, is the new man under center. And unlike Phillip Rivers, he's not reading the defense and making smart decisions 60% of the time, 70% of the time. Maybe if you're lucky, 30% of the time. So as important as offensive line is to them, and maybe they make a move up, I don't know. Maybe they cover Christian Darasol. Maybe they get ahead. I don't see the capital. And given that they just gave up some capital for Carson, as pragmatic as Chris Ballard is, I don't see him caving. I think he trusts his scouts to find him somebody. And I, in my opinion, I think they need to replace the right guard, Mike Lewinsky. I think he struggles in pass pro. Um, but Chris Ballard's going to go with Greg Newsom here, who's one of my favorite cornerbacks in the draft. I think if he was a little bigger on the scowl, um, weighed a little bit more, he's thin. I think we would be talking about him in the same light as J.C. Horn and maybe even the Alabama kid, Patrick Sertan. But Newsom has all the ability, a little bit of injury history, but he's tough as nails. He tackles, he plays man or zone, and he and he plays at a high rate. So I see all of all of the ability. I don't see the the weight that you would like to see on a prospect at corner but I think he could add on some pounds as his career goes on. But man, you just don't find tough, good tackling cover corners like him this far in the draft. So Chris Ballard will probably be happy to announce the name. It's going to feel fortunate to get a prospect like this. Rocky Sin has been a bust. And Xavier Rhodes is old. <laughs> He's on the last contract, I believe. So um, perfect timing to bring in a new corner for that defense. 22. Titans, they're in an interesting spot. They probably should go right tackle. I think John Robinson's going to maybe get a little gun shy because of the Isaiah Wilson situation from last year. You should probably just look to course correct that with a tackle here if you think one's good enough. I think Tevin Jenkins is more than good enough. Another one of my favorite players. I think the Titans really want to solidify the pass rush. They brought in Bud Dupree. Oh, God. Just forgetting names like crazy. There's another guy that they want to believe in. They feel they can believe in. He's shown it. He's a year removed from showing them. Harold Landry. Um, Two years ago, he had a good showing. I think eight and a half sacks. Showed promise. They believe in him. Last year, had a down year. So he's up and down. He's in a contract year. I think they're deciding whether they want to resign him or not. And I think adding a guy who's maybe too good to pass on here in Jalen Phillips, edge rusher from Miami. This guy's pure pass rushing ability takes the cake in this draft class. His physical frame is impressive. The injury history, you know, it's not for me to say. I would be a fool to sit here and talk about it. All I would be doing is regurgitating things I've read. I've heard some people say, I've heard former coaches, uh, Jim Mora, when he was in UCLA, went on the record and said, when Jalen was with us, the concussions weren't a problem. 
he thinks that that came out to lower his value. Now, that's why you have scouts. So the scouting departments, I think, after you do your homework on the kid, you probably find out that maybe the concussions thing, the issues with him and concussions were maybe a little over-exaggerated. I mean, these guys are playing football. You mean to tell me that all these guys aren't coming in with concussion issues? Give me a break. So the ankle injury, I think, is what forced Jalen to contemplate retirement at a young age. He almost walked away from the game, came back. He's told his story. He's better for it. It's mentally challenged him in ways he never thought possible, and he responded exactly like a pro does and took another at-bat, hit a home run. So he's definitely a first-round pick. Where he lands, I don't know. He could make it to the next pick. These two picks here coming up could swap, but I got the Titans finding him too good to pass on, pairing him up with Bud Dupree in a rotation. So then we got the Jets at 23. You invested in Zach Wilson at quarterback. I heard a rumor that Joe Douglas is infatuated with Tevin Jenkins. Now, that could just be chum in the water for a reason. Again, smoke screens are abound. Um, I tend to buy in. He has a Joe Douglas vibe to him. He is a nasty motherfucker. Tevin Jenkins wants to rip your head off. That's his style, but he's athletic. He reminds me a lot of, um, again, my brain is completely dead, uh, Tristan Worfs. Tristan Wirfs, excuse me, I fuck up his name all the time. Reminds me a lot of Tristan Wirfs in their style and what they bring to your team. Wirfs is definitely a different type of athlete. He's put together a little differently too. You know, you could just see it. Not as sloppy in the body as Tevin Jenkins, no offense. But um, Tevin Jenkins is a fine athlete in his own regard. Um, you could say Tristan Wirfs light, but he brings that element to where I don't think you really have to worry about him in pass pro. Yeah, he's got some things to work on, but he's coming in with a good skill set and things you just can't teach. You wish every one of your offensive linemen played with his demeanor, and I mean that. And again, if you can find guys to change your culture, you take them. You have the need at right tackle, the Jets have dog shit along the offensive line except for uh, Mount Becton. I'm bringing up their roster right now. Yeah, so you got George Fant, who I like, but I think he's a rotational tackle at this point. He can't stay healthy. He's out of shape. Um, and, you know, he was a developmental player all the way anyway. So it's good to have the depth, but I think you want somebody you can rely on. Tevin Jenkins is that guy. 24, this is where it becomes interesting. So the Steelers are at 24. I have the Saints making an aggressive move, and that's based off the strength of a rumor Ian Rappaport leaked out today saying, don't be surprised to see the Saints try to get aggressive with cornerback. I'm going to connect those dots just for fun because, look, it's the back end of the mock, and who gives a shit, right? We're all going to be wrong. So it makes sense, though. Um... I mean, look, the Saints have a lot of holes. Um, I'm going to bring up their roster real quick. I think they're kind of set on offense. They can bring in competition at receiver. But when you look at Marshawn Lattimore, 
and his recent run-in. I can't remember exactly what happened. I think involving a gun. I think maybe he tried to travel with a gun. But he can be a knucklehead at times, and maybe they're trying to get away from that contract eventually. He's going to be on the roster. But I think the Saints do maybe move up for a guy who's been falling and has run into some bad luck. And it's a risky move, but I think it's worth the risk. Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech. I don't think he falls out of the first round. Maybe I'm wrong about that. He seems pretty sure that his medicals are going to check out on the back surgery. Um, He had an ACL injury. Recently diagnosed with COVID. Maybe he's a little irresponsible. I don't know what the story is. But I know this guy is eager to prove he's the best corner. He's got that alpha dog in him so bad. And the talent is, it just jumps off the film. It really does. Um, He makes a lot of mistakes. He takes the cheese on play action and, and pump fakes and stuff like that. And there's some work to be done. But I think he lands in the perfect spot in New Orleans where he doesn't have to be a shutdown corner. He can just go in, learn, get better. And the Saints will look like geniuses for stealing them at 24. Saints have to give up. The 28 and 105. I think that could get it done. Um, we got the Jags, their second first round pick. I actually love this pick. I think Urban Meyer wants his foundation to be built on the ground. I think he wants to run the ball, keep balance on offense, not have Trevor throwing 40 times a game, getting all banged up. And the offensive line's built for running the ball. They just, you know, I love James Robinson. He was a great story last year. Helped me a ton in fantasy. And I actually drafted him. I drafted him in the last round because I heard some buzz about him. And I did my homework. So just putting that out there. That's me winking. Giving you the gun. Letting you know what's the common fantasy advice. So stick around for that. But yeah, I don't think he's the answer. I see regression from fantasy, from real life. He's nothing special, let's just be honest. You know, he's fine. He's You want him on your roster. But I think you want an improvement in that running back room. And Najee Harris, to me, it's such a great, pleasurable combination if you think about it on paper. Trevor, Najee, and, you know, people are trying to say, you know, pair him up with his teammate and Travis Etienne. You know, why? Why? Look, they had their connection in college and then you come you become an adult you get a a job in the real world you become an adult you move on you can remain friends with Travis and you could talk about how you almost became teammates but if you're the Jags and you're Trent Baalke I think knowing Urban's history with power backs I think he values Najee Harris in this spot so I matched him based off of that 26 We have the Browns. I know they're an analytics-driven team. I think Gregory... Oh, my God damn it. Oh, this is getting frustrating. I think I'm just overtired. I don't speak like this, and I think I'm maybe nervous, but whatever. I can't say words today, and I apologize. Um, I think Gregory Russo, defensive lineman, Miami... um, for whatever reason, and, you know, I know the reason. 
He didn't run a blazing 40. He didn't jump through the roof. He didn't broad jump through the roof. All shit in shorts. What I seen in one season in college football in Miami, 15 and a half sacks. Yeah, you didn't see him winning with his hands, winning with counter moves. He didn't have to. He, he was all athlete. This is a guy who also is a moldable piece of clay, has the right attitude for the game. It means something to him. And I think he's going to work his ass off because I think he's going to come in motivated knowing he should be drafted higher. But that kind of frame, 6'7", 260, 270. I don't know what his playing weight will be. He measured 266. Arms are long as hell. 83-inch wingspan. It's just nuts. And I think the Browns, even though they brought in help opposite Miles Garrett, with uh, Jadavion Clowney. We all know that's a one-year deal, and Jadavion's going to chase the bag next year, especially if Miles can help accelerate his profile back to, you know, being like, oh, wow, we want to give money to to Jadavion Clowney. I think those days are behind him. I think Cleveland knows it. I think the brass knows it. Maybe they go another spot here. Maybe they hit the secondary. I don't know, but it just seemed like a fit, being that they're analytics-driven, and I think some things that PFF doesn't give you for $5.99 a month that are just meant for the football teams say that Gregory Russo, based off the analytics, is a steal here at 26. So then we got 27, which is Baltimore's first of two first-round picks, the second they received from the Chiefs at 31 in the recent trade. I actually have Baltimore... And look, Baltimore knew what they needed to do. They needed to trade Orlando Brown Jr. and fast, before the draft, preferably, to get max value. They did. They were able to do what people didn't think they could do, get a first-round pick in return. Now they're in a power position. They didn't make the trade because they wanted two players in the first round. And I'm sure they'll stay if they need to, if they identify two players. I think they're listening to offers. I think... The Eagles and Howie Roseman has found, well, really, has killed two birds with one stone in this trade. They move all the way up from 37 into this 27 spot to draft Asante Samuel Jr., FSU. I thought it was fun, being that his father played in Philly. Um, From what I understand... Our new coaches here, um, I'm drawing a blank on the defensive coordinator. Oh my freaking word, my brain is just dead right now. I gotta bring it up. Gannon, something Gannon, right? Hold on. Ah, doesn't say it. Anyway, fucking, uh, goddamn, Mike Gannon, I don't know, call him whatever. Eagles defensive coordinator comes from Indianapolis. A lot of cover three. Um, some cover two, but zone is important in a cornerback. Although Asante primarily played man at FSU, that's what they asked him to do. I've seen enough on tape where he has played zone to where he's excelled. And maybe you can argue is better fit for playing zone primarily or off ball. He can jam great. Don't let his size fool you. He's a dog. He tackles better than his dad. But he's light, and he's just like his dad. You can ragdoll him in the run game. 
but that's okay. I think you can hide that, that kind of stuff in certain schemes. Um, I think he's too good. I don't think he'll be there at 37. I think there's a buzz around his name where he'll be late one, regardless if the Eagles move up. And I personally, I love the pick because they get to rectify the situation at 12. They get the explosion in Jalen Waddle. They come back for the corner. And the two birds with one stone part, this is where the trade's interesting. Howie has been trying to demand third round value for Zach Ertz. Baltimore has two third rounders. So do the Eagles. So I kind of have a swap. I have Baltimore sending the 27 pick to Philly and the 104 pick. So packaging 27 and 104 to Philly. Philly sends 37, 84, and Zach Ertz. So the 104 kind of is like here, here's your, it's end of the third round. I think it's the second to last pick. It's a compensatory pick. They're saying here, okay, you motherfuckers, here's your third round pick for Zach Ertz. And she squeezed our nuts so hard. Here it is. You got it. And the 84 pick in the deal makes up for the 10, the uh, 10 position swap from 27 to 37 for Baltimore. I think that more than makes up for it. And I think the Eagles pay the price because they have the capital. So boom, we're on to 28. Steelers, this is where they move down from with the Saints. The Saints' original spot was 28. So we got the Steelers on the clock. They take another Golden Domer, um, fix up that offensive line. I don't know if he can stick at left tackle, but at this point, I don't think you get too particular if you're the Steelers. You just get somebody, especially when you've been preaching all offseason that you want to improve the run game. Yeah, you can do it with a running back. Harris is off the board. ETN's still on the board. So maybe they go that route. I'm not buying it. I'm really not buying it. It's not that ETN isn't worth it. I think the bigger problem is with the offensive line. Three starters gone. Liam Eichenberg, Notre Dame. He has the feet and the skill set and the smarts to play and hang at left tackle. Um, Don't know if he has the athletic ability to survive there and excel there really is more my concern. I think he could survive, but who wants to survive? I mean, you're just closer to death when you're surviving. I think he wants to excel. I think he'll do it in the interior. I think the Steelers will start running the ball again and be effective there. And I think they'll address running back later. Actually, I really like, uh, (laughs) here we go again. Fucking forgetting names. Oh my God. I guess I don't like them that much. But (laughs) I like a running back they already have on the roster. Benny Snell Jr. Jesus Christ. I've been all about the draft, so I'm just forgetting veterans. But but yeah, you can can certainly improve in the running back room, but you don't have to do it in the first round. Like, you need to improve on the offensive line. And honestly, I was really thinking Landon Dickerson, and if not for the injury history, I think it's just a no-brainer. In fact, I don't think he would make it to here if not for the injury history. Landon Dickerson is that good. But I think the Steelers take a real safe selection here. So good for them. It's not going to help you win a Super Bowl, but improvements were made. Packers at 30. Now, Aaron Rodgers will love this, but believe me, this move is not for Aaron Rodgers. Gudenkust is set, or at least the higher-ups are set. For some reason, 
that nobody quite understands to constantly every year around this time to piss off Aaron Rodgers and to disappoint him. But this is the year they actually surprise him and give him a weapon. Rashad Bateman, one of my favorite receivers from Minnesota. I initially fell like hard in love with this guy, studied more tape, studied tape of other receivers, and I'm still very high on him. Um, You know, quite honestly, for a guy who tells you and preaches, don't get so caught up in the size, I did evaluate him as a taller, slightly heavier receiver because he plays kind of like a possession receiver at times. Um, He reminded me there's a nuance to his route running. It's more like a tempo, but he's smooth. He, you could tell the cerebral part of playing receiver is at an NFL level. Um, There's a polish to him. And of course, you got to go right to hands. Consistent hands for the most part. All receivers have drops, but he's pretty consistent. Does all the toe, uh, the toe drag type of catches on the sideline that you would see in an Adam Thielen or a uh, Keenan Allen. Has run after the catch ability. But I think they're doing it because Devontae Adams is in the last year of his contract. And wouldn't this just be the perfect recipe? The final kaboom to send Aaron over the edge. To not re-sign Devontae Adams. Groom his replacement, just like they're doing with him and Jordan Love. To me, this smells like receiver, so that's what I got. Rashad Bateman, Minnesota. Now I'm leaning towards like a Robert Woods comparison. 30, Buffalo Bills. You know, there's been rumors about them wanting to improve the running back situation, and I agree. And even though it would be a crowded room, there's nobody standing out for them. There's nobody standing out. And I think Travis Etienne or Javante Williams, the North Carolina kid, either or with that offense, yeah, even with your offensive line maybe having troubles getting a hat on a hat and blowing guys off the ball, even with that being true, your pass game alone, the threat of Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen alone, should create more opportunities for the run game. Travis Etienne has the vision, the no-nonsense, one-cut, foot-in-the-dirt, take-off, put-your-head-down, absorb contact, and make big plays happen. Soft hands, he improved. He's he's a rising prospect. I think he's a first-round prospect, and I think the Bills take him here at 31. That offense becomes even more dangerous. The Ravens, I struggled here. This is Kansas City's pick, but being that they traded with Philly, this is their only first-round pick in my mock. So they're here at 31. They moved to Orlando Brown. They could take a receiver, and I know that's what the fan base wants, and I know they threw out some feelers for Juju Smith, Schuster, and free agency. I don't know. I don't know what the Ravens are going to do. I know they like physical, nasty players, and honestly, if not for a terrible pro day performance in terms of what the clock says and what the tape measure says, Jalen Mayfield would already be gone. I love him as a prospect. Um, He's not perfect. Nobody is. 
but his skill set coming in is pretty damn impressive, and I think he's a fit for the Ravens. So I got him here. Not much, not much else to say there. Oh, wait, there was somebody else I wanted to talk about. Did I pass him? I wanted to say something. Um. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh. Oh, well, doesn't matter. Had a thought earlier, and uh, it's gone. But yeah, then we got the last pick of the first round, final pick of this mock draft. Round this thing up. Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl champs. I think they can't pass. I just don't think they can pass on Landon Dickerson. Some teams can just take the risk because you, because you got it like that. Um, Tampa re-signed everybody. They are certainly trying to repeat. I think they probably will, or at the, at the very least, they'll make a very deep run and be in the championship game. And I look at their roster and I go, do you really want Alex Kappa? Like, is he your right guard right now? Do you feel confident in that? I don't know. I think with Landon's position versatility, can play either guard spot, can probably play tackle on a pinch. And we know in college he certainly played center for Alabama. You know, you just can't pass that up at 32. You take the injury risk. You hope for the best. You try to get him out there and competing with Alex with Alex Kappa. That's what it is. I got fucking dry mouth. You want him competing right away. Hopefully he wins spot. If not, he impresses you and you feel confident put, putting him in at any point in the game if an injury were to occur. Well, guys, I want to thank you, really. It means a lot that you listened. If you made it through, I really appreciate you. I know it was long. I promise you I'm going to get better at this. I'm a work in progress, much like these prospects. Who knows what my future holds? I hope I'm accurate on this mock. Jumpstart my visibility in the scouting community. But either way, guys, really from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy yourself. We made it. Draft is around the corner, baby. Best of luck to you and your team. Be safe, have fun. As always, love one another. And appreciate life, man. We're alive. We get to watch football. Fantasy's around the corner. I got an episode coming up. I don't know what it's going to be about. Probably some post-draft stuff. Stay tuned. Peace. Peace.